stop and take a trip down on my block where you see hidden potential young minds sharper than pencil and ain't afraid to speak they mind if they got something against you we standing with you we tackle issues like civic pride hate will cease to exist let's put our differences aside from my side to your side from dutch town to south side from penrose to north side from benton park to old north to west end the west side we bless when we step out we stand down rise up stand together wise up this is Stitch Cast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. This is a special edition of Stitch Cast Studio, The Divided City, titled Story as a Healer Among Black Culture, featuring film producer June Bay and world-renowned storyteller Bobby Norfolk. Check it out as they discuss this very important topic. Let's go. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back once again. I want to thank you for joining us. This is Stitch Cat Studio, and I am your host, Brandon Lewis, and I am accompanied by three members of our Stitch Cast. First, we got E. Say what's up, E. What's up, everybody? How's it going? And just like each time before, we have two very, very special guests. The first is actually making his second appearance uh, in our four-part series. He's an award-winning filmmaker. He has a bachelor in design of architecture as well as a master in fine arts and the documentary film and video. So Stitch Cats and everyone else under the sound of my voice, please, please, please help me in welcoming back June Bay. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? Great, great. You know what I'm saying? Glad to have you back. I'm glad to have you partnered with our second guest too. Who's a, who's you? You know what? You know we, we gonna get into it. We gonna get into it. We gonna get into it. Okay, uh, okay. And our, our second guest. This is actually his first time appearing in this series, but he's far from a he's far from a stranger. He's been a part of the Story Stitches family for as long as I can remember, and that's not an exaggeration. I don't remember a time where he wasn't a part of Story Stitches. Actually, he's won three Emmy awards. He's been nominated for a fourth, and has so many, so many accomplishments that I don't even have time to mention. He is the master of storytelling. Ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please help me in welcoming Bobby Norfolk. How you doing, sir? I'm fine, sir. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. We're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. Uh, Bobby, one of the first things that I want to talk to you about is because you, you, you've had, you've had a, just, just, just a tremendous run. You, you, you've seen more success than a lot of people will be blessed enough to see. Uh, one of the things that I'm really interested in when it comes to you is 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 when when did you realize the importance of of storytelling so to speak uh the 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 effect that storytelling could have on people uh when when did you realize that importance wow you you know sometimes you get things that come to you that you don't even realize the uh power and what the universe is trying to put you in line with and so at that point in my life, when I was like in grade school and stuttering, you know, I was like a leaf in the wind, not having any sense of direction and just going with that force, wherever the wind would take the leaf, that's where I would go. And then in grade school, I started learning. <laughs> I called him the first hip hop artist in American history. So it was country white boy, Jimmy <laughs> Dean that made the sausage. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, Google Jimmy Dean. Don't do the sausage, but his ballad is called Big Bad John. And 
it had this uh, bridge music to it because uh, Jimmy Dean played guitar, but basically he spoke the entire ballad of this guy who was a um, coal miner and huge. And the whole story was about him. And it was like a three minute ballad. And I memorized it when I was like in the fifth grade. And it's, I didn't stutter when I said it, wouldn't stutter at all. And then fast forward to me being a National Park Service Ranger at the Gateway Arch in the old courthouse. And storytelling came to me because before that, I had been doing stand-up comedy. And when the uh, stand-up comedy thing wasn't working for me in terms of getting paid, then I was working with the St. Louis Black Repertory Theater. But I still had no idea what storytelling was, except to put the babies down for the night. And then the St. Louis Storytelling Festival started at the Arts Museum. So I tell people I didn't seek storytelling, it sought me. So I was working as a National Park Ranger Monday through Friday. And when that big festival came, some of the best storytellers on the planet came to perform. And I said, oh man, this is not for babies. This is huge. This is an ancient art form. And every person on the planet, no matter what culture, no matter what religion, no matter, you know, what different type of uh, province you're from, we all learn story through the five senses. See, hear, taste, touch, and smell. Then you throw that sixth sense in, intuition. And so I, my intuition said, ask the chief ranger if you can take off Monday and Tuesday and work in the school system in St. Louis and hone and craft your storytelling skills and then work as a park ranger Wednesday through Sunday. And without hesitation, my boss said, go for it. You want a dual career? And I did. And that said it all. It gave me that foundation with the St. Louis schools. And so three years after that, Mr. Lewis, I attended resignation and became full-time storyteller. Beautiful, beautiful. I wasn't going to ask this until later, but you've already kind of started talking about it. I can't help but feel like the art of storytelling, the telling of a story is somewhat underrated. And in a lot of cases gets lost in how a story is being told, so to speak. Or when I, you know, you know, even even dancers tell stories, wrestlers tell stories, you know, you know, um, just about every art form tells a story. But I think a lot of times the story is lost in the art or 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 or, or that people get distracted sometimes or whatnot and don't pay enough attention to the to the to the art of the storytelling. Uh what's what's uh your perspective on that, both of you? You know, I think story is the the thing about story is it's so universal that, you know, even if it's told in any, you know, especially if it's told in like a visual storytelling form, anybody can look at it and, you know, they can really relate to it, you know, emotionally and connect to the story storyline. So I think that aspect, you know, just any story, it just needs to be strong and then and everything else can kind of come fall after, you know, the form or the delivery can always come after. But I think the story just needs to be strong for things to be universal and, you know, for people to relate to it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I concur. And, you know, no matter what you do in the art forms, you tell a story, you know, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, he told a story. You don't know how many stories was hidden behind the Mona Lisa. Oh man, I started doing research on the Mona Lisa and find out not what's going on with that toothless 
smile, you know, almost a smile, but then all that activity behind her. And see, that's where the intuition comes in because the researchers say, stop looking at her face and look what's behind her. And I thought, oh man, I'm not going to tell you what's behind her. You got to do your own research. You know, you're a storyteller. You know, all these people that write and sing musical storytellers, they make her extraordinary storyteller. You know, the CBS Evening News, which I just watched, you know, they have stories that they do and they have the serious stories. <laughs> you know, first when I was in journalism back in the day, they was always talking about if it bleeds, it leads. Because they knew that what would attract a viewing audience more is just like death and mayhem. So a lot of times, you know, they bam, throw you with the bleeds, it leads story. And then toward the end of the evening news, there's the uh, heartstring segment. So they pull on your emotions. This is what things are yeah. all about. They pull on your emotions and same thing with story is that, you know, <clears throat> sometimes I would do these poems, you know, with stories, you know, we love the rapid fire poetry. Some of the poems that I love are stories is that my mentor said, you have to give the audience time to breathe when you tell stories. And if it's a 45 minute set, the audience needs time to absorb what's being given to them through the power of story. Some people call this in psychology, storytelling hypnosis. And so when you immerse in a story, whether it's on in music, whether it's on the screen, eyes wide, jaw drops, you know, you get immersed, you know, somebody starts calling your name and you don't hear them till about the third time. And you say, oh, you, you talking to me? You are immersed and lost in story. And so that's the consciousness. Your consciousness just kind of disappears into uh, inner space. You know, I'm not going to say cyberspace because that was human made, okay? I'm talking about the biological computer, the human brain and the mind to which it's connected. All right. So I'm going to back off right there for a minute, give my audience time to breathe. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to add too, because I think this kind of goes along with you all talking about the art of storytelling. And also since the title of this um, podcast is Story as Healer in, in Black Culture, I wanted to know um, what was the time when you both realized um, the power of your gifts, whether that was storytelling, whether that was filming, whether that was dancing or just writing in general. Like, what was a time where you realized just like how powerful it was? And, you know, can you kind of talk about that moment? You know, it's, I think as far as film goes, you know, it's like when I see people watch the film, I always think, you know, what, what are they kind of going through in their minds? But it's like, you know, they all went through all these forms of different storytelling, not just in film, but like through books and, um, you know, film too, but also like in, when they see a painting or when they see uh, a dance or when they see someone just talk a joke during the day, they just kind of see kind of the, the pattern of a story. And so kind of utilizing those kind of structures and forms of storytelling that people use in, in their daily life, I think that's a great way for, you know, when I see those reactions in people, when I do something and then it, it actually delivers and that storytelling is, is working then that kind of shows me that you know this this film is working and the storytelling is is there and you know when i see dance i feel like the people who do the storytelling is more you know have more stronger style or they end up kind of you know if there was some kind of a battle or something that they would end up winning the battle through the storytelling more than say the other dancer has no story but has you know excellent maybe technicality 
or some kind of you know power move or something that nobody else can do in terms of difficulty technicality the storytelling will always win um, just because that's something that should be at the core of any sort of form of art mm -hmm. when you all get time if you have not studied Carl Jung J-U-N-G Carl Jung was a Swiss psychologist and psychiatrist and he studied under Sigmund Freud back in the day but then at age 35 Carl Gustav Jung decided to go into ancient cultures and study the ancient stories that these people were telling and so what he did he started calling what all these different cultures were putting together and and putting in story in archetypes so you have the archetype of the king the queen the prince the princess the demon the dragon the ogre you know <clears throat> you have the hero the heroine and these are all archetypes that fit in every culture on the planet and so when people hear story all of a sudden these archetypes start invading the retina of the eyes and then those uh, dormant brain cells start awakening and so what happened was that these stories then became one as mythology and through mythology what happened was that filmmaking started with star wars in terms of stretching the imagination and the, 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 i call it the star wars the, the trilogy you know because after a while uh, george lucas stopped following that trilogy and because people like mcdonald's and burger king and mattel they started throwing these billions of dollars to george lucas and so he just sold the empire by the empire strikes back <laughs> He just sold his empire and Warner Brothers took it over. And then that's so that three of the force got lost in that trilogy. And this was to me the first modern science fiction that I was seeing other than the Twilight Zone. But it was on the big screen where Twilight Zone was on the small screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it would have to be through uh, mentorship. So, you know. Like you talk about psychology, you have the, the, the unknown self. Everybody else see that self except for you. So when I was, um, you know, doing poetry, uh, rapping, producing music, everybody else saw my potential instead of me. Eventually, when I started doing shows with Story Stitchers and being able to perform on the Fox Theater, especially Saturday, I'm like, man, this is what I made to do. This, this is how my legacy is going to start through poetry but through music. So it would have to be just through mentorship and having the right leadership and like-minded folk around me to, to make sure I keep my head up. Like I said, when it comes to any industry, whether it's music, poetry, any type of storytelling, you have to have a thick skin because you're always going to have opposition. Billy Joel has this song out called The Stranger, one of my favorite Billy Joel songs. And it starts off with, we all have a face that we hide away forever and we take it out and show ourselves when everyone has gone. Some are satin, some are steel, some are silk and some are leather. They're the faces of the stranger, but we love to try them on. This is this is your second time um, in the podcast mentioning Billy Joel. I take, I take it you're, you're a big Billy Joel fan. Yeah, I, <laughs> I see you. I see. I see. Uh, Billy. Um, Billy Joel has a song called 
Vienna that is basically my theme song. It's, a, it's it, it basically you know you know it, it talks about basically people like us pe- people people that work really hard to try to be really successful at something you know and and, and the song basically says you know slow down you're yes. doing fine you can't be everything you want to be before your time yes, and, and 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 Billy Joe I, I got the, I got the privilege to see Billy Joe perform live and he's amazing he's incredible mm. um speaking of Billy Joe uh speaking speaking of him performing live uh Rachel also mentioned uh having a thick skin one thing I'm really interested in is both of you as artists everybody who everybody who takes their art seriously you've experienced sharing your art and people not receiving it as well as you would have liked them to receive it so what I'm interested in is is what what what's this what's the story where, where you just didn't have a good go of it they, they they didn't accept you how you wanted to be accepted and what what made you keep going how did how did you pick how did you pick the camera back up how did you get back on stage and tell another story you know I think for me it's like the delivery when the when you wanted something like a certain delivery or like you meant it to be a certain way or like you wanted people to feel a certain way in this way it usually ends up not really working too well and then so but when you kind of do it more more organically or when you try to tell kind of like a more bigger every kind of you know section or like a scene would contribute to like the bigger goal or like the main message i think that's when when it will be more successful or when people can kind of receive it the way that i intended to be from the very beginning which you know i think it's like when you try like when somebody when you're trying to be funny you don't end up being funny but you know when you're kind of naturally when you're funny then you know you're funny kind of thing so it's like it's a, it's a matter i feel like if you try to force it then it never really works and when you just kind of do it when you have a kind of a set goal or some kind of a structure in mind like everything every part or everything every scene or every action or everything is contributing to that if it's a song or if it's like a music video then if the music video is conveying a certain message that reflects the message of the song then that's more you know that's when i see it more effective and people kind of receiving it well as well you know in the west african tradition the storyteller is called the griot and in some of the languages in west africa is the jolly and just a short definition of what the griot on the in the oral tradition is which is what i do as a storyteller I speak for a living. The old tradition is a form of human communication wherein knowledge, art, ideas, and cultural material is received, preserved, and transmitted orally from one generation to another. The transmission via speech or song may include folk tales and ballads. They are a living archive of people's traditions. They are historic and believed to have deep connection to spiritual, social, and political powers. So these men and women were revered and a lot of the griots would not just tell the story. They would have African instruments like the talking drum, the djembe drum, the junjun, you know, the kura. And so the bass fiddle was kind of designed after the African kura. And so this was to carry the imagination further into the depths of the story when you are floating along with words and music. No, I was just agreeing because Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, the difference between you hearing a spoken word piece, you know, just the words, you know, it's still so powerful. But then when you have just that, that perfect instrumental to go like right under it, it's like even more powerful, you know, and it makes you be able to 
relate, you know, and it draws you in even more. So yeah, that's why, you know, the people and, you know, Jim B, I know you can uh, concur with this. When people mm-hmm. do filmmaking, it's always that score. You have that musical score there and, and that builds up the emotions of the viewer and listener. Mm-hmm. When music comes in, oh man, all of a sudden transported. It's a spirit, it's, it's mystical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's like the sound aspect, I think that's the key in storytelling. You know, when you think about storytelling, it's like you, somebody tells you a story and it's a, it's kind of like a visual, well, it's a sonical experience, but it's also a visual experience because once you hear the story, you're, you're playing it in your head. And so, you know, in terms of the sound aspect, especially in storytelling is key and sound has so much information, like in the, in film, like sound design and you know, the sound can really, that I feel like most people can relate emotionally through sound more than visually. If anything, I think it's so much, um, you know, I think people can be more emotional sound wise more than something they see visually. Of course, you know, they can be triggered, uh, some kind of, kind of emotionally triggered visually as well. But I think sound is what really kind of carries everyone's emotion together through, through the story. And like, if there was an art, then the sound can really, you know, execute those um, emotions and messages that they want in, say, like a super sad scene or in like a very happy scene. Like, you know, the music would definitely, it's a, such a great tool to kind of move people um, through the storytelling and through the film. Uh, I have a question. So your filmmaking and storytelling, like, what do you look for in your stories when you're making it? And do you have a specific message that you want to tell in your story or film? Because, you know, it really, it's, it's especially, you know, because mostly I, you know, I make documentary films and the docs are usually, the story is, I feel like you find it while you're making it. So especially, you know, when you're in production and let's say you're interviewing people or you're um, doing research for the site or you're taking, you know, documentations of places or events or you're following some people or you're following an event or you're following something. And, you know, having that kind of um, kind of initial kind of goal or some kind of a message, but those messages can really change because the message kind of forms while you're kind of making the film. And then the message kind of, I feel like kind of gets created in the in the post-production, if anything. But, you know, people kind of work differently. I know some friends who have like a certain structure already in their minds, and then they would kind of shoot the way based on those structures and then edit the way that was intended from the beginning. But the way I usually work is I think, especially docs, I would find the story and then the message can really change. And, you know, the, sto- the story or the structure, because there's so many stories given in, even in one situation, if even if let's say you're following, uh, you're focusing on one person, if it's a talent or if it's uh, even like a regular person that did something um, extraordinary, you know, it could be, or it could just be a regular person doing their um, re- regular daily life activities. But there's so many stories. It's, it's you know, there's so many stories that you can focus on. And the most, the one that I focus on is, you know, usually or most most likely the ones that I'm either interested in or something that I don't know any, know much about. And so in that way, the curiosity kind of drives, the, you know, forms the story or kind of, um, you know, m- you know, kind of makes me kind of choose all these decisions and then as a result i have material or i have some kind of footage that i can use and then from those you kind of see the story or you see okay these are kind of the strong stories that i see and so from there you kind of piece it together like okay this is how it was started introduction and then you know it's usually pretty you know 
similar a lot of the um but it really depends on the on the story you know if the story of the character or if the person is say super you know sporadic and you know kind of maybe their profession reflects those kind of things then i would incorporate those elements into the structure of the film say like have like a sporadic beginning or have like a kind of like sudden cuts and stuff like back and forth if the person has some kind of a disease or something maybe they have memory loss and i would maybe incorporate those kind of things in the structure as well so it all kind of depends on uh, uh on what story you want to focus on but i think you know most people will see the story once you kind of start digging into digging into it basically i can tell that you all are um very adamant about what you guys do and i know as an artist myself we tend to get lost in our own creation so my question for you all is how does storytelling help you all escape from reality is it easy to become lost in your own reality sometimes? <laughs> Let me jump in there, June, on that one. Um, now, as June Bay had just said in terms of audio, now I found out that we learn and we enjoy life through three levels, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. So some people are visual learners, some are auditory learners, some are kinesthetic, they have to move. Some people say, well, they have ADD, ADHD, because they're always moving. Not necessarily, because when you hear a nice rhythm, you know, you, you got to move to that piece so that they're learning and they're moving through that rhythm. So that being said is that when I first started learning story, I had to find out that I could not be Bobby Norfolk. I had to be the characters in the story. So what my mentor said, you have to lose yourself within yourself, Rachel. You can't keep thinking about I, me. You have to transform yourself into the character. And so, again, my directors in theater took that to another level when I had to become all these characters. And so I was just immersed in fantasy. And there was this one play I did called Zoo Man and the Sign by August Wilson. It was with Black Repertory Company. You know, if you're... Okay, just to digress, okay, I, I studied Hatha Yoga, meditation, and Tai Chi, you know, Shudokan, Karate, you know, and, and I just made myself very low-key and humble, and then the Zoo Man thing came, and so I auditioned, and Zoo Man was a gangbanger. And the premise of the play is that Zoo Man was shooting at a rival gang member and accidentally killed this nine-year-old girl because he belonged in a zoo. And so he was had no remorse. And then the families, they were so distraught that they put a sign up there because it was like middle of summer and it's a shootout. Everybody saw what happened, but nobody came forward and said, who killed this nine-year-old girl? So the family put a sign out there, you know, fronting everybody off. And Zoo Man saw the sign. So there were five soliloquies where I had to, according to my uh, direction, pace like a caged tiger. And so I'm talking about all the things that brought me to that point where I became Zoo Man. And at the end, Zoo Man gets killed by the uncle of the girl. And so afterwards, you know, we took off the makeup. I took off the Zoo Man outfit and I took off the crooked cap. And so Black Rep had a a reception and so they were getting getting ready to get everybody out of the theater and have wine and cheese and hors d'oeuvres and what have you and these three old women were huddled in a corner and ron himes the director said bobby come here i want you to uh let these three old women know that you're not a real gangbanger <laughs> oh man <laughs> and i came over they were scared holding their purses <laughs> <laughs> I said, lady, lady, no, 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 I'm an actor. 
I said, I, I admit it, I, I'm a pacifist. Like I'm a national park ranger. That's my real job. Is that what you saw on stage was fantasy? And they <laughs> they calmed all the way down. But see, I had to be the zoo man. And so, Rachel, I'm saying that that's what you got to do. All right, come on. I shocked everybody in the silence. <laughs> June, do you have any? Uh, June, do you have I, any acting experience? You know, I do a little bit, but nothing, nothing to be, you know crazy like i've done a few things but nothing i would do like student you know projects and stuff like that i've been in a couple of music videos and things like that but no you know nothing no nothing that would you know nothing with like dialogue and things like that <laughs> you're the man behind the lens not in front of it right <laughs> and you know when i see like sometimes i see like actors and actresses like they have different ways of like getting into their their character and i feel like some people i feel like i don't really see those like crossovers or like they're um you know they're even when they're off camera they're kind of like the character and i feel like maybe maybe they're kind of trained or they're even when they're off they're still on um but a lot of times i feel like different people like some actors and actresses like they can really change characters and like play perform or like be able to be a different totally completely different roles but i feel like some actors they are like kind of more not themselves but like they they're more just like you know it's not like they suddenly change into like a different character but they're kind of more of themselves and it's just the way maybe like some nuances or some little changes in, in the in the tone or the delivery but yeah i think you know, different people have different ways of getting into it. And it's just interesting to see how how people kind of get lose themselves and like get in, get in different characters and get in their zone. If, if, if you weren't doing documentaries, what type of film would you make? Could you see yourself coaching actors and whatnot? Yeah, you know, I can definitely see that because it's, I feel like when docs, it's like you can't, you, of course, you know, there's always, even when you think that, the documentary is like shot you know there's no it's just one take and there's no like retakes like a lot of times i feel like there are retakes and that's the way it is usually now is you have these people act themselves but they're also sometimes they're like oh can you you know can you say this one more time because we want to kind of have that segment in this section where it goes before it was talking about this so let's kind of connect it this way so there's always like some sort of direction there like in terms of how you're saying it but you always want to not always but a lot of times documentaries you want to make it feel natural so you want to have it like they just said it one time and it was you know that was the one take and so i feel like there's definitely direction in that aspect in fiction and in terms of you know in those you know i feel like there's a lot more i've seen so many instances where the director would just kind of it's such a small thing like you know it could be like you know have it could be like one word or like having more you know this way or that way and then mm -hmm. it, it would really kind of change and having a variety of different takes is sometimes actually um it could be really useful in the in the in the editing room or in the in post-production when you're putting it together because maybe the director wanted it this way but when once you see it later in the editing room it makes more sense to do it other ways and if you have those takes then you can use those and you know have those scenes that way so even in docs i feel like like, that's what sometimes directors want to do is have like certain different takes on the same line or say like a subject matter. 
but you know you always want to have options but in docs it's hard to do that sometimes because it's like you know it just happens once and it you know you can't really replicate or you can't really repeat certain things especially especially if it's like a I feel like most important scenes are stuff like it's just like non-repeatable and so that's that's why that's what also makes it I, I, I feel like the, that's the aspect of documentaries is the non-repeatable kind of aspect is what makes a documentary so I think that's interesting Hey everybody, you know what time it is. It's time for our Pick the City Up art interlude featuring St. Louis Story Stitcher's own Traydon Rogers and his original piece, Saints of Louis. Dear Saints of Louis, what do you want St. Louis to be? A history rich in both prosperity and chaos. A city where both slaves and free blacks once lived together. A city that was once defined as a world-class city, the fourth largest city in America, where the World's Fair was hosted where the 1904 Olympics Games was housed, where St. Louis Blues was brought to life, home to Maya Angelou, Nelly, Tina Turner, and many others, where greatness is and again must be. But first, what St. Louis do you now see? Because St. Louis hasn't been saint to me. St. Louis is traded in his glory for calamity. Vacant enmity, we demand in reconciliation. We, saints of Louis, abandoned philanthropy. Our willingness to lift the city, giving our hands to reach down into the ground, lifting our home to the standards we all seek. Because St. Louis hasn't been saint to me. Will you reach out and make this city saint with me? Come and grab a brush and paint a place with me. Amazing and awesome. A canvas worthy of the first name saint you see. We are saints of Lewis, allowing malevolence and poverty to take sovereignty of our home. Our public schools occupy with my fellow youth, whom are filled with promise and pain, tangled in this ancient endless chain of survival, the system, disdain, in neighborhoods where brothers blast each other in the brain. Some come into the school to escape, and some even more beat down by the school they thought was safe, even in those walls a Civil War waits. Our youth dying or either leaving this city, and I can relate. I am Ferguson, wounded and needing assistance. I'm Kenlock, bought out of existence. I am the Delmar Divide, still very much resistant, but I am change, coming in the distance, persistent in my aim to knock down the insistence of chaos and violence and suffering that leeches our city, of its proficient strive to thrive beyond where it is now. I believe in our potential to change the atmosphere of this city, to move it gradually towards an unshakable unity and saintlyhood. St. Louis hasn't been saint to me. With all this divide and distress, pain and duress, my youth are failing so I cannot digress and rest from the urgency of what I express. So please press past yourselves and reach and protest with your hands and heart. A Louis better than what it is now. A St. Louis to be correct. A city, a place that I can call home. Where I can sleep without gunshots filling my ears. Where I can see unity among my peers. Where greatness and heroism has volunteers. Where our collective values and principles are clear. Where saint embodies our years. And I'm ready to work for a St. Louis becoming saint, you see. Because nah, it ain't to me. But it's very faint, you see. It's there in parts of our history. In the rhythm in our marches. In the joy in our celebrations. In our hearts and faces. And Saints of Louis, this is where it all starts. With us. Let's do it. Definitely. That idea, you say, but how you say it. It's not what you say, but how you say it. And this is exactly what Junbei is alluding to. For example, if somebody rolls up in front of your house with this raggedy car with about 10 dents in it and the paint job all whacked, you know, it's going like that, you say, nice car. But then somebody rolls up in a 2021 Porsche. <laughs> 
Nice car. So definitely. But the first way being snarky, and then the second one is compassion for that car. Nice car. So not what you say, but how you say it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. Oh, waves. <laughs> uh, I have a question. Um, and this is this could be for everybody, really. Um, you used your gift in a way that was um, helping a community or a person or even yourself, you know, go through some type of healing process or some type mm-hmm. of grieving process. You know, I, I would say, you know, a lot of well, not a lot of, but I feel like stories can definitely, you know, it's like a form of healing in a certain way. You know, you're hearing these things or you're you're going through the story. You're, you're kind of, you know, once you hear the story, you're playing it in your head and you're experiencing it on your own in a certain way. And that could be a healing process. You know, it could be go by just going through those motions or going through some people's experience, even if it is a sad experience or even if it was something at the moment could feel like, you know, it's like sad and you're, you're kind of mourning or say you're hurting. As a result, later on, it could it, that could have kind of helped maybe heal some of the process or some of the pains or different parts that you couldn't really have have dived into yourself. But through the story, you're experiencing it, and you kind of kind of can can touch on certain things. And so I feel like it can definitely use it as a healing process, and also it can be used as a tool to heal. You know, you can use it in uh, different you know communities. Or different places that kind of um, necess- you know, kind of need those stories, or you know, that would help them go through, you know, maybe organize something or do different things. Say like one film, or say it could be, it could even be a small thing. You know, it could even be like a like a, a little like trailer that they see or something. You know, they see and they're motivated or are healed in some way by seeing it and listening to the sound and seeing like visually. You know, because there's, I think music is you know at its core it's 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 kind of a healing kind of process or it's a there's a healing aspect and so even if there is no music even if it's like a storytelling you know sound wise like i think it's there's definitely this aspect of like spiritual healing as a, as a collective i have a, a couple of things about that that i want to jump into one being for the last eight years i have been hired to come tell stories at children's hospital at Barnes jewish Okay. Mm. And so the guy that hired me, he was chief horticulturalist on the eighth floor at Children's Hospital. There's this outdoor garden. It's a huge sort of a garden area. It's a big patio. And so the kids would come down with their parents. The kids sometimes would be in wheelchairs or they would have IVs on them. And if they were incapacitated and couldn't come down to the uh, nature garden, then I was then live streamed into their rooms. And so the, I remember several times all these kids were coming down and I knew they were in pain and then they had to take, take some meds and the parents was, you know, on each side, the kids trying to prop them up. And I said, OK, here's my challenge. The universe is sending these sick kids at me to give them some joy and laughter. And so I had to bring it. And and so what I did, I'm telling, I'm telling some of the most humorous stories that I can, but at the same time, I am thinking that I just want to see a crack of a smile. And all of a sudden, 
they start smiling and giggling and, and the parents started looking at the kids, you know, and then they're happy too. And so I made everybody happy. And so that to me was better than getting the paycheck to see I was healing them through the laughter. Mm. And on the opposite end of that, I had diffused a very tense situation at a movie theater lobby one day. This is when Gator Tales, Mr. Lewis was on. You talked about the three Emmy Awards. It was on Channel 4, and there were a huge, there was a gang, all these coming into the theater. I don't, don't know what movie they were coming to see, but they were in a B-shaped formation like geese. And the leader, you know, I, I, I like to use the onomatopoeias when I tell stories. And everybody was backing up against the wall and giving them a wide berth. And so they were headed to the concession stand. I was headed to the concession stand with my wife. And so I was getting there first and she kept pulling me back. I'm like, don't you see what's coming down the aisle? And I said, well, the popcorn is over here. It was <laughs> <laughs> it was something intuitive. I'm telling you that let me know. Mm. Don't be afraid of these guys. I didn't know why at the moment, but I went to get my popcorn. And I converged at the same time as they did at the popcorn and so the stand. And the leader said, this Storyteller, oh, <laughs> Mr. Norfolk, will you sign my popcorn box, Mr. Norfolk? <laughs> I looked at my wife, she rolled her eyes. <laughs> and everybody just kind of chilled after that. And they gathered around me, I'm signing popcorn. I, you know, I, I love to carry a little Sharpie, right, for such occasions. And so I learned how to carry that Sharpie when I was doing Gator Tales. I had never signed a popcorn box before. And so I'm signed about eight of those. And then one guy said, man, you came to my school when I was in the third grade. I said, you was a little boy then, weren't you? He said, yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> they went back to the third grade. And so after I signed the boxes, they all turned around and got back into that persona and went to their movies. But nobody was intimidated in the lobby after. Beautiful. Wow. Um, kind of opposite to that, can either of you recall, and this is for anybody to answer, can either of you recall a specific time where a story healed you? Um, does anything does anything jump to mind? Yeah, for me, um some a lot of times it's my own poetry that heals. So uh, last September when uh, one of my closest friends, my best friend, he had passed away, I was losing my mind. And so I, I just had to sit myself down for a good week straight. I didn't leave my room. Of course, I ate and used the bathroom, but I didn't interact with anybody. And I had to just write, tell the story of what's going on in my mind. And so um, eventually, month after month, we had like over 10 people dead. And I'm like, okay, I need to continue to write. And once I finished the piece, once I the piece, I recited over and over in the times that I feel like I need to hear this. And that has helped me heal a lot. And this was the piece that I performed at the Fox Theater as well. And I got really emotional because I was like, dang, I remember in September, my best friend died. This is where it started. Then my great aunt died. This is when it ended. And sometimes I feel like our own pieces help heal ourselves because it's, it's very it's very personal and it and my poem taught me a lesson for myself you know um it's about being jealous of my own imagination and how i want to acquire peace and me saying that poem over and over it, it teaches me how like this is reality you have to stay in reality and even though you're in your mind all the time 
life still goes on. And when it comes to peace, I just have to remember, like, it's mind over matter. Long as you, long as you're in it, long as you're not, you know, stressed out, you're, you're, you're always gonna be okay. So sometimes I feel like our own pieces can heal, heal you, no matter what point of life you're in. I feel like if I say this when I get older to my children one day, that they're gonna learn from this. Okay, my mom will do the same thing I did. Definitely. Wow. Wow. Yeah, those pieces from the heart really do speak to other people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I feel like I definitely agree. It's like, especially when you hear your family or let's say your parents or your siblings or even your uncles and aunts or even grandfathers and stuff. When you hear their stories, like what they went through, say like when your age, like I'm always curious, like what was it? You know, what, what were you guys doing like at my age? You know, like and like my mom basically had me at my age right now so i'm, I'm thinking like wow that's like something you think about that and you kind of it's it's um you know not necessarily healing but it's like comforting in a sense to know like you have that kind of reference and you know everybody kind of goes through the same thing one way or the other you know where you are you know where wherever you are who you are it's like everybody kind of goes through certain things in different stages in their lives and just kind of seeing that makes me feel more com- you know comforting and and seeing the future you know or i guess kind of seeing just like okay i will be kind of like you know be like my parents one day you know they're you know things like that you know i think it's a uh, it's just kind of comforting to know you know even if it's if i hear my friend's stories kind of like my friend's parents went through that or like my friend went through that then it's like oh okay it's not just me but everybody goes through the same things definitely a lot of the stories that help heal me are usually in the form of music Mm -hmm. or uh poetry there's some you misery does love company and i don't say that to say that like i hope other people are miserable with me but there is something comforting about knowing that you're not the only one going through something and Mm -hmm. especially if you hear someone on on what you view to be the highest level that somebody could be on saying i'm struggling with this thing and you're thinking wow i'm struggling with that too so 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 this person is a human and if they seem like they doing all right so if they can get through it then i can get through it you know, uh, story, stories like that really helped me to uh, get through a lot or even hearing stories about things that I've never had to deal with or whatnot. Somebody who's just had to overcome like a ridiculous amount of uh, adversity, like a like a Harriet Tubman who crossed back and forth from the north and south getting slaves or whatnot. You know, or um, I, I have a few notes on my walls of just short stories like a a, a a track runner a little girl from a third world country who couldn't afford running shoes so she covered her feet in band-aids and drew a nike symbol on it and won three gold medals that day you know so 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 just stories of people that have done just tremendous things and it really makes me look at what i'm going through like if they can do that i can get through this mm-hmm. if, if they can do all of that uh, i remind people all the time that three of the most legendary pianists in the world were blind uh, one of them was also deaf. Uh, that one was Helen Keller. And then you got Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder who can't even see the things that they plan or whatnot, you know what I'm saying? But somehow managed to reach some of the highest levels of success that you can reach, you know? And here I am with with, and with every limb that I was born with, the sight, sound, I can hear, you know what I'm saying? So so if they can accomplish these great things with with less than I have, why, 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 why can't I do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, then, so I, I find a lot of healing and things like that. Absolutely. I can, um, I can relate to when you talk about the music aspect. I think for me, music war was 
one of those things too, where it's like, okay, I'm not the only one going through it, you know? But I think where I really found a lot of my inspiration and even still to this day is in movies, documentaries actually, you know? And I find those so interesting, you know what I'm saying? To be able to learn about, watch a story about somebody <clears throat> overcoming multiple challenges just to make it to their end goal, or sometimes they don't make it to their end goal and it's still encouraging and inspiring to me, you know, just to mm-hmm. see, you know, so I kind of, I kind of, um, growing up kind of went back and forth with music and movies or documentaries, especially. Yeah, because I just I just love like those deeper meaning type of movies and songs as well. So I really gravitated towards a lot of um, like conscious rap, you know, and really found myself indulging in a lot of those in the documentaries. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mr. Norfolk, I know you got I know you got one. I know you got one. Yes, sir. Let me give you a couple. First of all, the OJs. Uh, and their song, Message in the Music. And one of the lines is, music is the healing force of the world. This understanding every man, woman, boy, and girl. It's a message in the music. And so the OJs came out of Philadelphia. And so that whole label was TSOP, uh, Leon Huff and Kenny Gamble, the sound of Philadelphia. And so they started producing all of this powerful music coming out of Philly. And I was in college at the time at Umso. So when I and so I had the beat down with these professors at Umso, you know, and then I'd be trying to hold down a job at the same time, and then trying to keep in, um, <laughs> my grades intact. I didn't get kicked out of Umso, and so I started listening, to Mr. Lewis. I'm going to invoke the name. Get ready for it, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I knew it was coming. I knew. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Let's go. The elements. Earth, Wind, and Fire, they healed me every day when I came home from Umso and had a beat down with these college professors. Man, I put on Head to the Sky, Devotion, Gratitude, September, Boogie Wonderland, if I wanted to move, and, you know, um, and, and Evil, and the sound of the uh, orchestra, you know, those, those, those elements of the strings and the vocals and the brass, and the rhythms of the percussions, they came in. All, I was just transported. I was healed every time. And so I still have those albums. It's a lot You still got those LPs. I said, oh, they're trending now again, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> definitely. They are. Definitely. Yeah, they are. Um, this is this is kind of like some some insight on the on on the uh behind the scenes, if you will, Bobby was helping me with my speech, speaking actually to prepare for this series of podcasts that we're doing. And Earth, Wind and Fire was one of the groups that he had me listen to. Uh, he had me, he, he asked me to listen to him during one session and we got to the next session and I hadn't listened to him yet. And he 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 used this saying, I don't know if you remember this saying, I had never heard it. I, I had never heard it before. I'm probably gonna mess it up. But he said, and I, and I need you to do it with some hurry up. Is that what it was? He said, he said, he said, make sure you listen to him and do it with some hurry up. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Earth, Wind, and Fire is amazing. I, I, I know how much you love them. And I use that saying now, do it with some hurry up. Yes. Some hurry up on it. Yes, some hurry up. 
I was just uh, intrigued by what you guys were saying, so I forgot what I was gonna say. But um, <clears throat> out of all the stories you guys made in like film, like which one is your favorite and why? Oh. Uh... <laughs> hey, you know Bobby got like forty thousand stories up there. <laughs> You see, I, I <laughs> Bobby gonna have a minute. I heard and he damn, knocked it right back at my court. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna show you with the June Bay. You know what? My favorite would be the storytelling wise. You know, it would it would have to be my film that I made when I was at Stanford. It was this thesis film that I made called Turf Nation, and it's about these turf dancers were you know from the Bay Area. These turf dancers that perform on the bar trains and you know when i first met them and stuff you know i think a lot of times like films is or any work that you do you say you're an artist and you make music like all those works are like part of you or a reflection of your of yourself and i feel like this film that i made is kind of part of me in a sense that you know these dancers were really aspiring to you know they were entrepreneurs in, their, in a lot of sense you know they made a way to make their living based on what they, you know, what their abilities are, what their talent is, not something that, you know, people tell them to do to work at a store or something or work at some place. It's like, you know, they, they made their own way of living and kind of, you know, paving their way through their life in their own terms. And so I really related to that in a lot of ways. And so kind of telling their story was like kind of telling my story in a lot of ways of just kind of trying to kind of pave my own ways and not having to, you know, necessarily do what other people think that you should do and things like that so yeah i think that's definitely my favorite one it's like it has a lot of kind of you know trying to really you know succeed in a lot of ways and that, that kind of aspirational aspect and this kind of hunger for striving for the best and you know doing the best that you can at what you do and you know things like that it's all there so i, I think that's the my favorite one so far but you know i, I think I, I end up just like everything that i make there's nothing that i've made that i'm like oh i didn't like i don't like this one or i i wish i didn't make it or anything like that 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 hasn't happened to me yet so far so turf nation is one of my favorites too so far from you oh i appreciate that mm -hmm. me personally i don't think i have reached a point um where i have like an absolute favorite like i have some um pieces or some songs where i'm like this is a really good song <laughs> you know like this is a really good song but I think for me, because I feel like I'm still, um, I'm still on a journey, you know what I'm saying? To, I don't feel like I've reached my peak at all yet, you know? Mm -hmm. so I'm still in the process of enjoying, you know, enjoying getting there and enjoying the mess ups or the flaws, you know? And I might be telling a fib, but from what I can remember <laughs> right now, you know, I don't know. <laughs> absolute favorite song like you know what i'm saying i don't reach that point yet to where i could be like that was that was it right there like so what's yeah your, what's your favorite story stitcher song you made i would say probably um way reprise oh yeah that, that's it for me like easy that's that's easy that's that, that's the that's my favorite that i've been a part of i think before that it was um i think it was anti for anti had a four as well just because it was a really upbeat song that i felt could uh relate to some people you know it was, it was like a different approach of talking about bullying you know it made it cool definitely you know definitely way reprise is similarly upbeat too I like it because of the growth, though. I feel like it really shows that, you know what I'm saying, that growth, that difference. And uh, yeah, I feel like that shows our growth as artists. You know, that, that's the big thing to me. Absolutely. 
Um, poetry-wise, for a long time, it was um, a gun in the hands of a child that I did for the Black History Program last year. But now it's the one, like I said, that I just created, which is mm-hmm. called Envy Slash Peace, which, you know, they're, they're opposites of each other, but they make sense to put them together. Musically-wise, like you said, I'm still learning. Like, I'm prepared to learn more about music. I want to be a music therapist and a film scorer. We have a piece on South which is like fired by a New Orleans type music guess. but at my level right now that's that's my favorite that I produce got you uh, probably the mural that we created in Story Stitchers the mirror on the, the side of the, you know, the street at the bus stop. And what I like about it is that I made a, I had part in making a change in the community, you know, like making a bus stop, making it look presentable and everything. And just knowing that people are going to work at, look at our artwork whenever they like go home is just a good thing for me. So yeah, I just picked that most of It wasn't even storytelling nor music that really got me on that path of performing arts. It was stand-up comedy because I was minding my own business and all of a sudden this cassette came out by Richard Pryor. Oh, man. No idea who Richard Pryor was. And, oh, I say, oh, man. And so then I started studying Richard Pryor and then I started studying Bill Cosby. I started to study uh, <clears throat> the, the great comedians. I even bought a book called The Great Comedians by Larry Wild, W-I-L-D with a silent E, The Great Comedian. And so I saw that I was serious about my comedy, okay? And so, and then when I got into it, I started doing nightclub, but then I had to always come in between band sets. Cause you just walk into a nightclub and just start performing. There's always music there. And so there was this club by Fairground Park called Mr. Connick's Jazz House. It was on Natural Bridge and Fair. And the David Hines Quartet was playing. And so I <clears throat> went in, I asked David Hines if I could work on some of my stand-up between his band breaks. And he said, well, talk to Mr. Connors. He said, you know, I'm hired to help just like you. Mr. Connors said, all right. He said, what, you, what do you charge? I say, free. He said, I like that amount. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I went in and, and nightly, I would go in and hone and crap. And I got into the international comedy competition. It was at the Coruscant Room at the Chase Park Plaza, and I won first place. And so the second heat was in, wait for it, Junebeck, it was in San Francisco. Oh, okay. In the Haight Ashbury district. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the name of the club, but I, I almost moved to Bay Area. I said, My, I love Bay Area. So, in between being in San Francisco, then I went across the bridge and hung out at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I went to Oakland and hung out with a high school friend of mine who lived in Oakland and um, won first place there. And mm. so you just said, man, you had the audience in the palm of your hands. <laughs> <laughs> he used an expedite, but we won't go there okay, for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and so I, I had no idea what Paul was dealing with. And then I went back to the corset room and my timing was off. Mm. Ooh, timing was off. And I hit second place there. And somebody else won their first place. And Bob Costas was one of the judges, the sportscaster. And he was one of the judges. And he said, Bobby, I saw you at the first heat. I saw you in San Francisco. He said, your timing was just off, but keep doing what you're doing. 
Guys, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure talking to you, June Bay. It's been great as always. Bobby Norfolk, it's been great as always. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank you, June and Bobby, for coming back with us. Thank you, Stitchcast, for uh, helping me out. Thank you so much for a great conversation, great topics, great gems being dropped. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you've enjoyed our series. If you would like to look back and listen to any of our previous recordings, you can find those at storystitches.org. Uh, if you are in between the ages of 16 and 24 and you would like to know how you can be become a part of our stitch cast you can also find that information at stitch uh, storystitches.org uh once again thank everybody for uh playing the part we couldn't have done it without you and uh we hope to see you during the next podcast thank you Stitchcast Studio Session 2 in 2021 is sponsored by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund three-year grant from 2020 to 2022, Arts and Education Council PNC grant, and Blush Corporation's The Charity Pot. This episode of Stitchcast Studio Special Edition, The Divided City, is funded by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and urban design at Washington University in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.